So this week we are continuing our series on theater and theology, which is, I think, maybe one of my favorite series of the year because it's an excuse for me to watch a lot of movies. So that, that's a win-win, right? So last week, Chris talked to you all about Field of Dreams, which now has inspired me this coming week. I think I might rewatch Field of Dreams because it's been way too long since I've seen it, and that is a really, really good movie. But today, we are going to dive into a different movie. We are going to look at a movie that up until like four weeks ago was the number one movie of all time, Avengers Endgame. And now, before we get into the events of this movie, I think we need to kind of recap the end of the previous movie, Avengers Infinity War. During the course of this movie, the bad guy, the mad titan Thanos, has, is on the cusp of completing his grand plan in which he feels that the universe has become overpopulated and thus is destined to destroy itself, unless he does something. And his strategy, the plan that he lays in place, is start to start on this journey to collect all of the Infinity Stones. The Infinity Stones, they're magic space rocks. Like, that, that's all you need to know about them. And so, throughout this movie, he goes on collecting all of them, he gets them all, and then with a snap of his fingers, he can kill half of the life in the universe in his head, thus giving the other half of life a chance to survive. So we can see kind of where, where his mindset is here. And so we're gonna pick up with this clip just as he has collected all the stones and he has snapped his fingers. So let's hope this works. I tested it out and it worked very nicely, but we'll see. All right, so as you can see, our hero's lost. The bad guy won. Half of life in the entire universe is dead. Now, you may have noticed one person in particular in that montage, Doctor Strange. He says that this was the only way, just before he dies. He, he looks at Tony Stark and says this was the only way. Now, Doctor Strange is a sorcerer in the Marvel world, and one of the things he can do is he can look forward in time, an ability which he does earlier in the movie, and says that he views 14,605,000 possible different futures, and that the Avengers win, defeat Thanos in one of them. So what's going on here? This doesn't look like the Avengers winning. Was he wrong? Because that, that clip sure looked like losing, right? This was the only way. Well, it would seem like maybe that this is part of the one future, the one scenario, where the Avengers, where the Avengers eventually, that is some weird alliteration, where the Avengers eventually end up winning. Now, I think oftentimes we have this idea of whatever we think our goals are going to be, whatever we see as our end goals, and we think it should be nice and easy to get there, right? It should be tidy. It should be easy. We come up with what we think we want, and we just ride our bike nicely there. Plot twists, hardships, dark valleys, those belong in books and movies, right? Not real life. How often do we kind of think like that, right? I think this is something we are all guilty of. And there are countless examples in the Bible of this coming to fruition, of this kind of lower path here playing out. And perhaps my favorite is in Genesis 37, or starts in Genesis 37, where we get the story of Joseph. 
We are told that he is one of the youngest of his father, and as a result, his father loves him more than any of the other of his children. Now, this is right off the bat probably going to create some tension between him and his other siblings, but then something happens that makes it just that much worse. So I'm going to read starting in Genesis 37, starting in verse 5. Joseph had a dream and told it to his brothers, which made them hate him even more. Well, that's just cutting right to the point, I guess. <laughs> he said to them, listen to this dream I had. When we were binding stalks of grain in the field, my stock got up and stood upright, while your stocks gathered around it and bowed down to my stock. His brothers said to him, Will you really be our king and rule over us? So they hated him even more because of the dreams that he told them. Then, Joseph wasn't done, then Joseph had another dream and described it to his brothers. I've just dreamed again, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he described it to his father and his brothers, his father scolded him and said to him, What kind of dream have you dreamed? Am I and your mother and your brothers supposed to come and bow down to the ground in front of you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father took careful note of the matter. So things are already off to a rocky start here for Joseph. We're 11 verses into his story, and basically his entire family hates him. Um, things don't really improve for young Joseph. Soon after this passage, soon after he tells about these two dreams, his brothers formulate a plan to kidnap him, which they do. Now, when they have him, they really, really want to kill him. But luckily, I don't know if luckily is the right word, but at this moment, a trading slave caravan comes by. And so they, they get the idea of, hey, why don't we just sell Joseph into slavery? Because then, technically, we wouldn't have killed him. Our consciences are clear, but he's going to die in slavery, so... Same result, but they feel like their conscience is cleared from it. Again, you can see some of that weird conscious clearing, what people will do to kind of these mental hurdles people will go through. So they do. They sell him into slavery. He goes off. So in a very short time frame, Joseph has gone from the favorite son of a relatively rich landowner to a bought and paid for slave in Egypt. What do you think this does to someone's mental state? He had a vision of him in power. He had a vision of him providing for his family, of his family coming to him, coming to him for support. And now he is a long way from home and about as far from a position of power as one could get. This doesn't seem like this is the plan. This seems like the plan is not going like it should. Now, back to the movie. Thanos killed half of life in the universe, does not seem to be you know, down the path of an Avengers victory. Doctor Strange's prediction or prophecy seems like it might have been wrong. As the story unfolds, five years pass, and people try to move on and move forward as best they can, each of them handling this defeat in their own way. Tony Stark, gets married, marries Pepper, they move out of the country, have a daughter, and they just live a quiet life together. Bruce Banner becomes Smart Hulk. He reconciles his differences and he continues superheroing about. Captain America retires from being a superhero 
and picks up what his former best friend used to do and now runs an emotional support group for people dealing with the loss of loved ones during the snap. Thor falls into a deep, deep depression. The guilt of knowing that he, that he was three inches away from fixing everything and missed drives him into self-isolation and self-loathing. Hawkeye is driven mad because of the loss of his entire family. He turns into a vigilante, killing anyone he deems unworthy of having survived the snap when his family did not. And he gets the worst haircut of all time. It, it's atrocious. <laughs> and Black Widow continues to hold the wall. She continues to try to protect the world, keep some form of normalcy by leading a team to keep not only the world, but the universe in order. But they're all stuck in a kind of limbo, seeing the evidence around them every single day of their failure. Or I guess not seeing the evidence of their failure, not seeing half of everyone they know. But inside, having that inkling feeling that the, arguably the smartest among them, Dr. Strange, said this was the way that it had to end, that this would ultimately lead to a victory. Now this tension comes to a forefront in the next scene where Captain America comes to talk with Black Widow just about how they're moving forward together. So we see here that our last two Avengers that have any kind of hope, even they are starting to fade. Even they are starting to question, should they move on? What was that? <laughs> Um, but they still have that inkling in their, in, in, in their mind. Cap saying, I keep telling everyone to move on, but not us. Not us. They're starting to lose hope, but they can't shake that idea that they were predicted, that they were destined to win. That it's not quite over. Now, within seconds of this conversation, Scott Lang, Ant-Man, shows up with a crazy idea to get the backstory. He got trapped in this weird dimension and now he's back now, whatever. That doesn't matter. He comes with this idea. He thinks he's figured out time travel. Is this their chance? Well, with the help of now Smart Hulk and Tony Stark, they, in an impressively fast amount of time, figure out time travel. It's like a five minute scene in which they figure out time travel. It's kind of impressive in a three hour movie. That's all they condensed it down to. But, they figure out how to time travel. And so they gather together all of the remaining Avengers for one desperate play. Their plan is to travel back in time to different points in their history to gather all of the Infinity Stones so that they can bring them forward and snap their own fingers to bring everyone back. Each of them get an assignment. They break off into different teams where they're each going to go back to a different point in time, get a different Infinity Stone, and come back to the present. With the hope of returning everything to normal. And as we watch, the plan plays out pretty well. We see each one of the teams successfully recover the stone they need and come back. Until we get to the last stone, the Soul Stone. Now, Black Widow and Hawkeye are sent to get this one. 
Now the soul stone is an interesting stone. It has a magical protection, magical incantation around it, because of course it does, why wouldn't it? And the incantation is that you have to give up what you love most to get the stone. A soul for a soul. Meaning, one of them has to sacrifice themselves so that the other one can take the stone. Now, I really wanted to show you this scene because I think this is the emotional heart of the movie, but I can't because Jeremy Renner, who plays Hawkeye, has an absolute dog mouth. And in the like four minute clip I was gonna show, he swears like eight times. <laughs> so thank you for that, Jeremy Renner. You always have to imagine it. But the scene ends, whoops, back, whoop, too far, ends with Black Widow basically fighting Hawkeye to see who's gonna be one to sacrifice themselves. And it ends with Black Widow throwing herself off the cliff, saying that everything she has done, everything she has been fighting for has been to get to this point. She has spent the last five years trying to find a way to fix everything, and that she will do whatever it takes. She's still holding on to that hope. She still has faith in this plan. And she is willing, let's go now, to bet her life on the fact that they can still win. The twist, the turns, the setbacks, everything has only strengthened her resolve. Now, how about Joseph? Let's look back to him. How is he faring in Egypt? At first, not badly. We continue reading into chapter 39, we see that he gets sold to the house of a man named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar is a relatively wealthy man and recognizes that Joseph has great leadership potential. And so it doesn't take long for Joseph to gain power until eventually Joseph is placed in charge of the entire home and lands of Potiphar. This isn't a bad position to be in, right? This isn't exactly how we thought things would go, but it's not too bad. You're in charge of an entire pretty large Egyptian estate. Okay, okay. But this doesn't last long, as you can probably tell from the ominous picture behind me. This doesn't hold true for very long. Joseph is falsely accused of rape. And before he knows what's happened, he finds himself imprisoned with no means of escape, no hope of release. I think it's safe to say that Joseph's dreams of power, of provision, of seeing his family really seem like an impossibility now. Recounting those dreams to his brothers, to his father, must have felt like a lifetime ago, as he sits in an Egyptian cell, condemned for a crime he didn't do. This certainly can't be part of the plan, can it? We'll check back with Joseph in a few minutes, but now let's flip back to our movie. Now, because of Black Widow's sacrifice, the Avengers have all of, this, all of the Infinity Stones. They have everything they need. And with all the hope that they have left, Hulk snaps his fingers, puts on the gauntlet, snaps his fingers to try to bring everyone back. But we don't know if it works or not, because just as he snaps his fingers, the building they're in is attacked. Thanos has followed them through time and is trying to stop them from undoing his grand work. 
after the rubble of the explosion is cleared, seemingly only three Avengers survive. Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America. So it seems like it's left to these three to step out and try to stop Thanos from getting the stones back. Now, we will pick up midway through this fight. Uh, Iron Man has seemingly already been taken out. It, he, his back has been broken. And Thor is about to be killed with his own axe. So we'll pick up right here. So this shot right here might be my single favorite shot from a movie. I actually have a production still of this blown up on my, uh, on my office wall because I absolutely love it. Because to me, this is the heart of the movie. Um, if you see the movie, you know what happens next. But to him, he thinks he is the last living Avenger. He doesn't know if Hulk Snap brought anyone back. He thinks Iron Man's back has been broken. He's just seen Thor's face stomped in. He thinks everyone else is dead, collapsed under the building. And yet he still walks forward. I mean, he himself isn't in good shape. You know, Captain America's shield, his primary weapon, his unbreakable shield has been broken and is reduced to a splint holding together his broken arm. Yet he still walks forward, still holding out hope that they can win. This, I think, is, to me, one of the best visual representations of faith. Now, Hebrews 11 gives us a wonderful definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things to hope for and the conviction of things not seen. That's what's on display here. The faith that things will work out, even if he does not know how it's going to look like or how he expects it to look out. Now, if you've seen this movie, you know what happens next. You know that within 10 seconds, he has all of the Avengers behind him. He has an army of wizards. He has the entire Wakandan army. He has the entire space army. Howard the Duck even shows up in this scene. <laughs> he has an entire army behind him within seconds. But he doesn't know they're coming. He doesn't know what the plan is. Now, what about Joseph? Even in the midst of his jail cell, God was with him. He gains favor with the jailer. He slowly gains some level of trust, and he gets some power, some leadership within the realm of the jail. He meets some fellows of Pharaoh's inner circle, which he interprets their dreams. They get released, but Joseph doesn't. Joseph sits there for years, until eventually, Pharaoh has a dream, which no one can interpret. And then stories about Joseph's jail interpretations come to light, which result in Joseph being brought before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asks Joseph if, if he can not only interpret the dream, but tell him what the dream was. Because any schmuck can just make up an interpretation to a dream that they're told, right? But Joseph does this. With the help of God, Joseph tells Pharaoh what the dream was and what it means. And that through this interpretation, Joseph warns of a coming famine and offers a plan for how the Egyptian people can survive. 
This leads to Joseph being put in charge of much of the infrastructure of Egypt. He ascends to a position higher than he probably ever could have imagined. But that's not quite where the story ends. You see, the famine didn't just hit Egypt. It hit the entire region, the entire area, including back in Joseph's homeland. And up there, there's rumors that Egypt has food. Egypt has food stored away and that they're giving it away. So eventually, this leads to a small band of Hebrew men coming down to Egypt to investigate these rumors, to investigate, to see, is there food? Is there a way for us to survive? When they do, they come face to face with someone they never expected to see, someone they assumed dead. It's Joseph's, Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers come to Egypt seeking aid from, turns out, Joseph himself. So in the end, Joseph was able to save his family. Joseph was in a position of power. But had he not been sold into slavery, he never would have ended up in Egypt. Had he not been wrongfully imprisoned, he never would have been in a position to interpret the prisoner's dreams, which never would have led him to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, which never would have led him to be a high vizier in Egypt, in a position to not only save his family, but to save everyone. It was only because he went through all of these hardships that he was in a position to help. He had to take the twistiest, turniest route possible to end up exactly where God needed him to be. Now, throughout this journey, he didn't know how things were going to turn out. He didn't know what the end was going to look like. And just like Black Widow and Captain America, he never lost hope. They all trusted in a plan. They all recognized that they could not see everything. They all realized that sometimes we might have to lose to end up winning. But even in these moments, we can hold on to faith. Hold on to the fact that God sees everything, that God knows everything, and that we have a God who loves us and desires that relationship with us. And so, although at times we might feel like everything is spinning out of control, we might feel like this is in no way where we're supposed to be, we can hold on to the assurance of things hoped for and have the conviction of the things not seen and trust that God is putting us exactly where God needs us to be. Stand with me as we pray. God, we just thank you for this time you've given us to come together. We thank you that you are a God who loves us, a God who has incredible compassion, and a God who will never abandon us. And so we just ask, Lord, that 
when we look around and we think things are out of control, when we look around and we think we're not where we're supposed to be, that we could just put our faith in you, that we could just lean, <clears throat> lean on your strong shoulders, and that that would help carry us through, that we could have faith like Esther to know that perhaps we were put here for a time such as this, that we could trust that you know where you want us to go and have faith that you will help us get there. In your precious name we pray, amen.